Father, thanks for your goodness to us, your love for us. Um, Thanks that you call us to yourself. I pray for our time this morning that your spirit would change our minds and our hearts, help us look more like you. We need you and we trust you. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. So if you're new to us, we have been traveling through the book of Acts, which is right after the Gospels, since January 1. So we're almost through 2017, and we've just finished Acts, and we just started a new series last week on Proverbs. And we're going to take the next five weeks, including last week would be six weeks, and study what is the book of Proverbs really all about. And it's entitled, Wisdom in Dizzying Times. Wisdom in Dizzying Times. And Sean, our lead pastor, broke down what really wisdom was. Because if you look at the book of Proverbs, really the first nine chapters talk specifically about wisdom. And they give wisdom a personification. They say she is guiding and has set a table and is calling out to you. And we talked about how you can't really know wisdom apart from a relationship with Jesus. Like that is really the cornerstone of understanding wisdom because God is wrapped up in wisdom, that this wisdom of God is actually an attribute of him, and it's actually obtainable through a relationship with Jesus. And even at the very beginning of the story of Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God even uses wisdom to create all things. He creates the trees and the mountains and the grass and the sea, and then he creates humans. And most of you know the story that in Genesis chapter 3, only three chapters into the story, man and woman actually disobey God. They get tricked into believing that their way is better than God's way. And there's massive consequences. But we even see wisdom show up in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. You don't have to turn there. But when Eve is getting tempted with the fruit, as she's looking at it, she describes it in three ways. She says that the fruit was good for food. I should should eat it. It's a delight to the eyes. And then the third way she describes it, get this, she says, and the tree was a desire to make one wise. They took that fruit and they bit into it, and they disobeyed God, and they got the very opposite of what they hoped for. Not wisdom, now they got foolishness. Sin enters into the picture, and it's cosmic in its scope. And when we think about dizzying times and wisdom in the midst of dizzying times, the thing that makes me most dizzy... I don't know about you. Um, you know where I'm going with this. Okay. You guys seen this? You've done this before, right? The dizzy bat relay? Yeah, no, the Young Life guy. Of course he knows. Um, so if you're, this is the, uh, the goal of this race is that you would race in a straight line and you would be the fast one. Normally there's a couple people lined up. They all have bats. And then you start doing this as fast as you can like this. And you go around. And then as soon as you finish, you drop it and you run. What you think is straight, but you end up running like this. And if I did that, if I went around 10 times, definitely I would either crash into the drums or I would definitely land in this orchestra pit, which it has a net. They're all still on. That's good. Like I was saying, I was in here earlier when nobody was in here, and I was just jumping on this net to see if it would support me. It does. It supports lights, too, which is fantastic. Um, So I was saying, (laughs) you spin around on this bat, and then you do your best to run straight, and you're all over the place. You're totally 
dizzy. You're totally disoriented. Thanks, Lance. Um, But you think you're running straight. Now hear me. You need to listen to this. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain over there. He's just going to unplug that. He's an electrician. Um, What happened because of Genesis 3, what I just read? Because of what we call the fall, our fallen condition, we all come out of the womb running sideways. We all think we're running straight, but we're actually running disoriented. We're dizzy and we can't get focused and we're lost and we don't know which way is up. That is the consequences of the fall. But as we look at wisdom, this Hebrew word called chukmah, which means wisdom in Hebrew, God's wisdom. Wisdom actually comes alongside us, and we start to run the race, and she actually grabs us. She puts her hand on our shoulder, and she kind of guides us. No, 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 let's go. We're going to go this way. I know you think, no, let me help correct you. We're actually going to go this way. This is the way of wisdom. And so as we talk about wisdom the next couple of weeks, what we're really going to do is build on top of Wisdom. What does it look like to be wise in these certain topics that we're talking about with God's wisdom and with his spirit? Because you can't get God's wisdom by experience or research or logical deduction. You can't get it by education or experimentation. You can only get it in the context of a relationship with God. Because he is the true essence of wisdom, everything that is wise and good and true. And Paul talks about this in Colossians chapter 2, verse 3. He says that all the treasure of wisdom and knowledge is found in Jesus Christ. And God's wisdom is the foundation that we're going to continue to build on. So what we're talking about today on that foundation is anger. We're talking about anger this morning. And in the midst of looking at our text, I want to do a couple things. I want to define anger. I want to See what the Bible says about anger and specifically two types of anger. And then I want to answer the question or attempt to answer the question, what do we do with anger? And I'm going to do my best. We only have a limited amount of time. So if you struggle with this area, if this is something you're like, man, I really struggle with anger. I need help with this area. I want to recommend two books, and I'm actually going to be drawing from them quite a bit this morning. But if you have a pen and you want to write them down, the first one is called Faces of Rage. The Faces of Rage by David D'Amico. And the second is called The Cry of the Soul by Dan Allender and Tremper Longman, Cry of the Soul. Those, both of those books are an exhaustive look at anger, emotion, what do you do with it? I'm not only going to be able to um, touch the surface on this stuff, but if you really have a heart and want to know more about this, I would recommend you look at those books. <clears throat> so listen to how we deal with anger, because people, man, people in our world are angry. You can open up your phone and just read the headlines, and people are yelling at each other. They're angry people. And we kind of do this thing where we swing the pendulum from one extreme to another, however you grow up. Maybe anger is okay. You grew up in a house where it was good to feel angry, and you just responded to anger, and you just reacted, and that's the way you did life. And maybe you've seen some consequences before of that. Or maybe you swung all the way to the other pendulum and you said, man, this anger comes inside of me and I just, I'm going to just shove it down. I'm going to push it down and just ignore it and not deal with it. And when you do that, it's kind of like trying to put a beach ball under the water. It just continues to come up because I think both of those extremes are actually unhealthy ways to deal with anger. I think there's actually a third way that wisdom is pushing us to 
of what it looks like to deal with this emotion of anger. Dan Allender, as I already mentioned, look at how he expresses talking about emotions and talking about ignoring anger. He says this, Emotions are the language of the soul. They are the cry that gives heart a voice. To understand our deepest passions and convictions, we must learn to listen to the cry of the soul. However, we often turn a deaf ear, even emotional denial, distortion, or disengagement. We strain out anything disturbing in order to gain tenuous control of our inner world. We are frightened and ashamed of what leaks into our consciousness. In neglecting our intense emotions, we are false to ourselves and we lose a wonderful opportunity to know God. We forget that change comes through brutal honesty and vulnerability before God. Only face-to-face with our deepest ruling and passions is there a hope of redeeming the fabric of our inner world. And anger is hard to deal with. Because the undercurrent of anger is hurt, it's betrayal, it's embarrassment, it's feelings that are, are real. And how do you deal with that? There's a reason they say you have a wave of emotions, right? It's because like if you're in the ocean and you're standing there and it seems to be calm, and then all of a sudden this wave seems to come out of nowhere and just crashes over you and almost overtakes you. You're almost powerless. You can't do anything about it. That's how emotions come at us, specifically anger. You might feel like you're fine, and then all of a sudden, something gets triggered, and then you just go to another level. What do we do with that? What does wisdom have to say to us when those emotions come about? Anger, in its simplest definition, is interference with satisfaction. Interference with satisfaction whether it's the constant territorial battle, I mean constant, of my kids deciding where they're going to sit in the van. Or if it's, you know, like maybe it's a late night and my kids are asleep and I'm just at a hard time and, you know, I I know there's ice cream in the freezer. Like I I know it's in there because we bought it yesterday. Yesterday. And it was three, it it was almost full earlier today, and then I go, and I go to the freezer, and I open up the freezer door, and I reach in. I see the carton. That makes me feel good. I reach in, and there's no weight to the carton. <laughs> Have you experienced this? And I open up the lid, and there's like, like, like a teaspoon of ice cream left. What is that? No, what teaspoon? Like, at least throw it away. Like, so... <laughs> What happens is my satisfaction is getting interfered with in those moments. And whether, um, which begs the question, you know, like based on the volume of my tantrum, like how important was ice cream to me in that moment? Like I thought it was going to satisfy my every need. And, you know, I know Jesus is, Jesus is supposed to satisfy your needs. I get that. I'm not trying to discount that. But what does it mean when those emotions rise to the surface? What do you do with them? Is it ever okay to feel anger as a Christian? Look at Allender again. He says this, God designed and blessed anger in order to energize our passions to destroy sin. Anger can be lovely and redemptive, but it can also be ugly and vindictive. It depends on, on, 
in the part of the object of the anger, how it's expressed, and why the anger is unleashed. If you were taught to not feel anger for whatever reason, I just don't think that's biblical as we're going to see. There's things that should cause you to anger. Not, not ice cream, right? Like, but what about sex trafficking? What about people doing wrong? We're in Genesis. We're post-Genesis 3, right? The world is messed up because of sin. If that stuff doesn't anger you, it should bother you at your core. But then how do you deal with it? And how do you tell the line between the carton of ice cream and then this thing over here that's extreme? Like, when is it okay to feel angry and when is it okay not to feel angry? And just as we looked at two types of wisdom last week, God's wisdom, his attribute, and the wisdom of the world, which they're different, I feel like anger, we can look at unrighteous and righteous anger. It's kind of like identical twins. They look the same on the outside. You think they're the same, but then when you start to get to know the twins individually, they're very different people. And so when we look at anger, I want to do that in pocketing it in these two extremes, unrighteous and righteous anger. And again, if you haven't already opened your Bible, Proverbs 14, which we heard the text, I'm going to read it again for us quickly, and then we're going to look at the back end of the text, and then we'll look at the front end. I love that sound of Bible pages moving. The Bible app needs some type of sound when you do that, because it's the one thing I don't like about it. Okay, Proverbs 14, 29. Listen to what this says. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Folly is just another word for foolishness. And again, we learned last week that actually foolishness is against God's, you're working against God's wisdom when you're being foolish. And so the back end again, he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. And I want to pocket that, that, that quick temper in this category of unrighteous anger. Unrighteous anger is always self-motivating. It attempts to control the choices of others, especially in regard to our attempt to possess what we believe is essential to our well-being. It's quick. It's not slow. It's self-focused. It's not others-focused. Unrighteous anger is like that. And when I started thinking about what I was going to say I'm not typically described as an angry person, I don't think. I I have friends that I describe that way, um, that are just quick-tempered. You can't say anything or else they could just go off at any moment. I don't feel like I'm really like that if somebody's describing me. Um, So I started thinking about, like, what's the last time I felt kind of this, like, wave of emotion all of a sudden besides ice cream? And it didn't take me very long to figure it out Um, because a couple weeks ago, I played racquetball with a guy named Joe Bates. So some of you are laughing because you know Joe Bates. Um, he, Joe and Victoria are leaders here in our church. They serve in our children's ministry. They, they host an RC at their house, or not host, but they run an RC. And, um, and Joe plays racquetball. He plays a lot of racquetball. Um, and I don't really, I don't play racquetball. I played like twice growing up, maybe in high school, where we just got in and kind of messed around and stuff. And so Joe and I have been connecting, and he's like, hey, man, we should go play racquetball. And I know Joe's played like four guys in our church at racquetball already, and I know who he's beat. And I'm like, I got to play this dude in racquetball. <laughs> like, this has to happen, right? And so 
even though in my mind I know Joe's probably going to beat me in racquetball. He plays racquetball all the time. I'm driving over, even saying, dude, you're going to kill me in racquetball today when we're texting, and then I'm driving over. But I'm driving over, and in my heart, I'm like, oh, I think I, I, think I can take him. <laughs> I, think I, can, I think I can beat him in racquetball. Like, my hustle, I, like, I, I think I can get him. So I show up. You know where this story's going. So I show up, and um, Joe's super polite. He lets me choose a racket, and he's explaining the rules to me. He even shows me some strategy of where to hit the ball and things. I was like, okay, let's do this, all right? And so... We played three games. The best way I know how to describe it is if I suddenly found myself in a game show. And it was a trivia game show. And I was against Charles Jones. Now, Charles is one of our leaders at the church. He taught Spanish for years at Mountain Ridge High School. I did like a couple years of Spanish in high school. And I remember um, nada. Oh, you like that? Okay. I don't remember hardly anything. Charles is fluent. And if we were in a game show, a trivia game show, and all of a sudden I found myself there, but it was all in Spanish. That's how racquetball went with Joe. I, domination is too soft of a word. He destroyed me at every level of the game. And I'm thinking, like, how is this happening? I should kill this dude at racquetball. But he just smoked me. And in the midst of that, like, I, I started to feel this sense of, like, anger of like, man, like this is making me so mad. And even talking in my head, I'm like, okay, I shouldn't be mad. I know he's better than me. And like, like I'm doing that. And then I'm getting mad at him of like where he's standing. And like, none of it makes sense. It doesn't make any sense, but it's starting to rise up inside of me. And I love this quote from Tremper Longman. He says, unrighteous anger always harbors the hatred of Cain. Read that again. Unrighteous anger always harbors the hatred of Cain. It kills someone to pay for exposure and pain. And Joe is exposing me on the racquetball court, man. Like, I, so I felt embarrassed. I felt exposed. I felt like, man, this is not fun at all. We walked down. He goes, no, that was fun. I said, no, it was not fun at all. That was not fun. We're okay. I'm, I'm not mad at Joe. But unrighteous anger always equals hatred of vulnerability and love of control. Say that again. Unrighteous anger hates vulnerability and loves control. And that's what was happening to me in that moment. I wanted to take control because things were out of control in my mind. If you hate vulnerability and you love control, you might have an anger issue. My wife and I are, um, we have three kids. Carson is 14, Logan is 12, and our baby girl is 10, Ryan. And Carson and Logan are in junior high, 8th and 7th grade. And so we are navigating the waters, as best we know how, of adolescence as parents. Luckily, we have really good kids, so it's not terrible. But about a month ago, um, the kids had a half day. And my wife was trying to figure out what they're going to do for the half day. And so our daughter was going to go with some friends. And our older son was going to come home. And our middle son was like, hey, they have open gym on Fridays. I've been going to open gym. They're going to open it later. Is it cool if I go to the park across the street with my buddies and just kind of like hang out for a couple hours? And then when they open gym, I'll go to open gym. And they can come pick me up after open gym. My wife was like, 
uh, okay. Like, you know, so she's trying to give them rope, let them be men, all that kind of stuff. But she's feeling a little unsettled because he doesn't have a phone, you know. It was helpful because we, we knew who he was going to be with. Some of the kids, we knew who he was going to be with. Some of the kids, we didn't know who he was going to be with. So that made it a little bit more tension. But it's like, no, like, this kid will say something if, if something goes awry or whatever. And so we felt like, okay, this is somewhat of a safe environment to step out of faith and give him some rope to adulthood. So I come home about halfway through the day, and my wife comes up to me. She's like, I just talked to the other mom. Do you know where the kids went? And I was like, babe, I don't. I thought they were at the park. They went to Borrow's Pizza. And I was like, Borrow's Pizza, like around the corner, like right near the park, like just not, not too far. Yes, can you believe they went to Borrow's? And I was like, you know, like I grew up a little different than my wife. I had a little more freedom than my wife. And I was like, did you say they went to the club or to Borrow's <laughs> Pizza? I didn't say that because at the time, my wife was getting angry. Like you could see it in her. And like, fellas, you know, if you're married, like there's a time you just don't say anything. Like you just let it ride out and you're like, okay. So I'm trying to be supportive. I'm like, babe, yeah, I can see how that would be frustrating if he didn't contact you and but she was at like, you know, threat level red, like, like, and she just was so, and she just stormed out. She goes, I just, I need to clean. And she just left and she cleaned for like an hour, which benefited me. I was appreciative of that. But she was, she was really angry uh, underneath. And so um, she goes to pick up my son at open gym and she arrives at the appointed time of discussion and he's not there. Um, but he was just late coming out of open gym. And so in that 10 minutes she was waiting, she was like, she was heated. And she saw her journal. And she picked it up. And she started reading. And God just met her in this sweet moment of saying, listen, listen. Wisdom just grabbed her shoulder when she was angry and said, listen, you're angry because you can't control your son. And you're scared because you have to release him. It's okay. It's okay. And she had such a sweet moment with the Lord where she could listen to what he was saying in the midst of her anger. And her anger actually drove her to that place, that moment with the Lord, so that when my son got in the car, she could have a good, healthy dialogue with him about, like, let's talk about what happened today. And so you can very quickly, this is an integrated process, you can move from unrighteous anger, being quick-tempered, to slow down enough to have a righteous sense of anger that's actually good and beneficial and helpful. Let's look again at our text, Proverbs fourteen twenty nine. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Let's talk about that first part and pocketed in righteous anger. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding. The text doesn't say whoever doesn't have anger has understanding. The text doesn't say whoever dismisses their anger has great understanding. No, the text says whoever is slow to anger has great understanding. Allender says this, he says, righteous anger warns invites and wounds for the greater work of redemption. 
It is full of a strength that is neither defensive nor vindictive. Defensive nor vindictive. And it is permeated by sadness that is rich in desire and hope. Most importantly, righteous anger allows the offense to be seen as an issue between the offender and God. And wisdom is calling us not to ignore anger. Wisdom is not asking us to eliminate this destructive feeling and replace it with like this fake positivity. No, wisdom is asking us to follow the string of anger that goes to your heart and saying, what's, what's really going on here? Like wisdom is inviting us to say like, what's happening with this emotion that's rising inside of you? So if the indicator of our text is saying that the difference between unrighteous and righteous anger is based on speed, what does it look like to be slow to anger? I want to give you three suggestions in slowing down when you start to feel the anger rise inside of you. The first is to be still. To be still. Psalm 37.7 says this, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourselves over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. So look at what this is saying. Look at this text. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. I know this guy is cutting you off in traffic. I know this gal just took your sale and your work, and you're fretting over it. You're angry over it. Just be still. Just take a second. Breathe. Be still. Be still in the midst of that anger rising to the surface. And this is really hard because when we get angry, a lot of us, it's the fight or flight. We want to fight. We want to raise up out of our seats and fix the problem. And wisdom is telling us, be still. That's the first thing. The second thing is to wait. So to be still, don't move, just be still and then wait. Waiting doesn't deny or pretend. It merely allows space to process what God is doing at a deeper level so you can have that conversation with him. I really feel like the Lord was allowing that waiting process to pick up my son for my wife, that she was allowed that time to wait because of the Lord that got her to that deeper and richer conversation with Jesus. Psalm thirty-three twenty says it this way. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. How often does your soul wait when you get angry? That's hard for me. Right? How often do I allow God to be my help and my shield? If there's something that happens and it triggers anger inside of me, I'm the first one to jump up and say, I'm going to fix this. This is a problem. I am here to fix it. And wisdom is saying no. Let me be your help. Let me be your shield. That's hard for us because we're not in a culture of waiting. We want everything right now, right now, right now. It's catered to us right now. And God's saying, why don't you wait and trust me? So to be still, to wait, and then the third one, when you start to feel these emotions of anger, is to ponder. To ponder. Psalm 4.4 says this, be angry and do not sin. It's like Ephesians 4, same phrase. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. 
is what I think the psalmist is trying to teach us in this moment, is that wisdom says, listen, I want you to stop. I want you to think. I want you to reflect. I want you to ponder in your heart. Follow that string of emotion back down to your heart. And I love how they talk about on your beds and be silent. It kind of lets us know, like, listen, you can't ponder when you're in a rush. You can't ponder when you're, okay, I'm going to fix this. This is a problem. Stop. Lay down. Relax. And then when you're in that state, now ponder. Ask the Spirit, what are you doing in me? God, what does this look like? And so to give you some tracks on what does pondering even look like, if you're like, I don't know what that means, let me give you three things of what you should ponder in that moment. When you're finally still, you wait on the Lord, and then you have the opportunity to ponder with the Spirit. Three things. Ponder your desires. Like, what is... My ultimate desire, what is making me so upset because it's getting blocked right in front of me? This anger is like, what do I really care about? Follow that string back. What do I desire? And then with that, ponder your sin. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 7. He's talking about there's this dispute and you're judging somebody and you're saying, hey, listen, man, like you got this thing in your eye. And Jesus is like, look, you got a log in your eye. Like, you need to take the log out of your own eye before you see the speck in your brother's eye. And when I get angry and I start to sit and I start to ponder and I ask, what am I really desiring? My sin comes up real quick. Because I start to realize, look, I'm, I'm angry because I feel embarrassed. I'm angry because I feel like I was slighted. And then it's, the sin is real quick. You go to Galatians 1.10, like I'm fearing um, the, the thought of man before I'm fearing God. Like it just exposes my dark heart of why I feel angry. The third thing you should ponder is you need to ponder God. Because sometimes it has nothing to do with your sin. Sometimes somebody does something to you and it makes you angry. And you need to ponder what is the goodness and richness and truth of God. What does that even look like to trust God in the midst of the anger? Because the person that displayed ultimate righteous anger is Jesus. You see it. He's not quick. He's not quick-tempered. But there's a couple times he gets angry. You see it in the Gospels. Even he walks in, and he is angry at the brokenness of the world. He starts walking around the, the temple, and it's become something that's not supposed to be. And I love the way that the Gospel says he just, he's slowly, he's just, he's making a whip. He's making a whip, and he's slow to it. And then all of a sudden, he becomes angry, and you see it. And it's not in sin. It's a righteous anger of correction, of saying, listen, do you think that happened again? Do you think the money changers came in again? I don't think they probably did. This is a corrective anger to say, listen, this is not right. And you need to hear me in this. And so you need to ponder God, his goodness. Maybe some of you are angry at God. You're upset. And in that pondering of God, I would suggest a practice of lament for you. God's okay with you being angry at him. Read the Psalms. They're scattered with lament where they're saying, God, where are you? I feel like I'm alone. I feel like my enemies are on top of me. What am I supposed to do? That's okay. Be honest with God. God has the character to hear your anger. But then at the end of the day, do you just stay mad at God? 
because you want to make your decisions, you have to come back to what Jesus has done, what God has done for you in the midst of that. I love this quote. We're wrapping up here by Dallas Willard. It says this when you're talking about pondering God in the midst of anger. It says, God's kingdom accepts and absorbs our losses and our anger. We begin to put God in charge of our wholeness and integrity, begin to see the fullness beyond loss, begin to experience it daily in life. Thus encouraged, we find the strength to put less and less energy to defending ourselves against loss and against anger. We have access to the rea- our reality in the reality of the cross where manifold loss and anger were cosmic and complete and forever redeemed. God doesn't want you to carry around your unrighteous anger. He doesn't. He unfolded everything on the cross. We're going to have times where we're going to mess up. We're going to be angry. We're going to say things we shouldn't say. You need to come back to the foot of the cross. And this exercise in righteous anger, it takes time. It takes habit. It takes forming. That's why we sing what we sing. That's why we do what we do. That's why we're in community, to hear each other go, man, like, you seem really upset about that. Let's talk through that. And we need to point each other back to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thanks for your goodness. Um, Even your anger being goodness in the sense of correctiveness. Thanks that you poured out your anger and your wrath on your son on the cross so that it wasn't poured out on us, that we can have a relationship with you. We love you and trust you. We need your spirit to guide us, to empower us in this issue. We want to hear from wisdom to correct us, to help us live well in the midst of our emotional anger. We love and trust you. We pray this in Jesus' name.